Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. Bob Hyatt, glad to see you today, man. Doug Moister, likewise, good to see you as well. Hey, Thanksgiving's coming up. You guys, yes, uh, it is. You guys got any plans besides we, eating? Yeah, definitely doing some of that. We are actually headed out to, Lan- to Lancaster, PA, or Lancaster, Pennsylvania. No, I think you have to say Lancaster. I, Lancaster. There's like a specific way that they say it. Oh yes, there is. There is. Yeah. I, I we do say Lancaster. Uh, so my mom and dad moved out there a few years ago. Uh, nice. Be hanging out with the brother and his kids and uh, his in laws and my family. So I'm excited. I'm really excited because I bought uh, a special bottle of scotch when we were in Scotland for Thanksgiving. So we oh, get a wow. chance to open that up together. W- and what did you bring enjoy. home from Scotland? So a uh, bunch of different uh, goodies, but the one th- it's it's uh, by a, a distillery called Glengoni, and they had this really cool. Um, it's like an old recipe from back when, towards when they first started. They they made something called a, the teapot dram for the workers that they could have throughout the day. I think they were allowed to have three drams a day. And so they found the old recipe and kicked it back in and rebooted it. And the lady assured me that you could only buy that in their distillery. And so it felt like it was a special kind of thing. I, Little bit, that, yeah. that is fascinating. I've, I've, uh, I used to be quite a Scotch guy, and I've never heard of that one. There's a lot of Glens. Yes. I hadn't heard of that one. But I find it fascinating that the idea that uh, throughout your workday, uh, you get to space out three shots of, of whiskey, <laughs> three shots of scotch. Gosh, that's a talk about benefits. That's fascinating. Yeah, seriously. I mean, you got, you got, you never did that in pastoral ministry. That I, wasn't like part of your job description. <laughs> we, no, we did not. We did do, uh, Dustin and I, the kind of the last year or so uh, that I was in Portland. What was it? Fridays or Mondays, I can't remember, but we do like uh like a just a happy hour. We'd sit out in the in the um uh the narthex, the vestibule, the uh <laughs> lobby area in the chairs there, and we would just have a drink and talk, you know. Cool. And it was it was a really nice like let's just connect as yes. as co-pastors. Yeah, yeah. That does sound like fun. Yeah, but we we tried to issue uh drinking during uh business hours, you know. Business hours. Yeah, right. On the clock. On the clock, right. Yeah. So yeah, and then uh we'll hang out there for the evening and then we come home and yeah, my, my son's coming home from college, which is exciting. My daughter's super pumped to see her brother. Um yeah, we're Mary and I are both pumped to just have some time with the kids. So it'll be it'll be good. Um, yeah. How about you? What, what, what happened to the Hyatt home? Like what, what do you guys do for Thanksgiving? Oh goodness. You know, uh, I don't have any family, uh, local, uh, but Amy does, Amy, my wife. So we are going to head over to her, her brother, uh, and sister-in-laws and all her family are going to be there. And I'll tell you, it's a, it's a cross-cultural experience. It is, it's, uh, you know, I, I want to be generous and say that her her family are, how can I put this? They are very black and white thinkers. They are very kind of locked into a particular end of the political spectrum. Okay. And so generally for me, it's just kind of sitting on my hands going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I, I did not know that. Yeah. Great. Uh, <laughs> it kind of reminds, uh, was it, I think it was, uh, I was listening. Somebody sent me a clip this week of of Bill Maher saying, uh, "Don't talk about politics during the Thanksgiving day dinner yeah. table or something like that." Which I'm like, "Yeah, that's that's probably right." Uh, we've been fortunate enough where we've never seen any major explosions on Thanksgiving, uh, oh, but yeah. I've always wanted to do a deep fried turkey, which would definitely be an explosion. Um, that but, would be yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Don't drop that frozen turkey in no. the hot oil, folks. That's I, I, a bad you know, scene. I agree. Do do we have any other good tips for our listeners? Like just as you're thinking about that, you know, like leave politics out. Don't never drop a frozen turkey into hot oil. Anything else, Bob? Like I'll tell you, one of, wisdom? one of my favorite turkeys that I ever did was I wrapped a turkey in bacon. Ooh, and man. And then cooked it. And uh, it came out pretty darn good. 
Yeah. So uh, we don't, we're not doing the turkey this year. So who knows what we're going to get? But, but I can mm-hmm. highly recommend the, uh, the, the bacon turkey. The, the bacon turkey. Yeah. The turkin. Mm-hmm. The turkin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. You know, there is something about, uh, I feel like pork products really make Thanksgiving a thousand times better. Like we, oh, yeah. I had a friend of mine in high school. My family went away for Thanksgiving. I stayed home because I had to get some, I had to work or I had a hockey game or something like that. And I had Thanksgiving with my friend and his mom made stuffing and she put sausage in the stuffing oh, and, yeah. and cranberries, dude. It was like yeah. a game changing experience. I yes. mean, I thought my mom, great cook, but Mrs. Wilson, Mrs. Wilson, you I, nailed it. You hit it out of the park. I mean, let, let's just put it this way. Nobody really likes turkey, you know. I mean, <laughs> I you've you've got to kind of do something to it to to yes. make it actually taste good. Because you just stick the turkey in the oven, and and if that's all you do, it it's it's edible, it's fine, but it's it's not like anyone's going to be drooling over it, you know. Right. But that's the magic of bacon is that you can add bacon to anything and it will make it a hundred times better. That's so true. Yeah. Bacon is like the fairy dust of, <laughs> of meat products. Take Just you sprinkle off it never, everywhere. Never land. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I was kind of bummed. I kind of wanted to do Thanksgiving at my house because I, I, we, we purchased a pellet smoker, a rec tech. They're not, they are not, uh, we're not, endorsed by them yet i'm working on an endorsement oh, nice. yeah um but i'll tell you what man the <laughs> well let me put it this way we had friends of ours from our church that that um the wife broke her foot like a couple weeks ago and they sent out a little you know a little food thing you know like hey sign up to help them out which i was like i'm all about right until i get there i'm driving over and i realized i i spent an hour and a half smoking wings and I finished up and I realized like, I can't just drop wings off at somebody's home for a meal. Like I have to have like other sides. And so I found so, Here's some meat. You hear it exactly. That's, what, that's honestly like what was in my brain. And so I showed up with a bag. I like went to, to the local grocery store, bought like a bag salad. And I found some mashed potatoes that I cooked like a couple days before in the back of the fridge. I'm like, I look like I'm a freaking frat guy that just like showed up at like somebody's like, here's a, here's a bag of wings and some salad. It's like so classy. Uh, but they, I, I told him, I said, look, I'm a meat guy. That's what I do well. Yeah. And, and th- there was a little note that said they were the best wings that they've ever had. Very so nice. Well done, I, Doug. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. This is really about me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's funny. Like I, I think, that smoker, I'm looking forward to trying to smoke a turkey because I feel like it would just make it better. Yes. Yes. Uh, we've, uh, yeah, you got to do something crazy with it. You got to deep fry it. You got to smoke it. You got to do it out on the Traeger. Do something, do something interesting with your, your, your turkey this, this year, guys. Just uh, whoever's out there listening, pastors, men, women, if you're in charge of the turkey, just do something different this year. Give it a try. What do you have to lose? Mm. You know, what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? Yeah. It's, it, it's almost guaranteed to be better than that dry bird that we, we always have to <laughs> suffer through every year. But oh, well, speaking of near-death experiences. <laughs> we're not suffering. <laughs> we had a great conversation, did we not? We did with John Burke. Uh, I was a little skeptical going into this one. I'll, I'll tell you because uh, when it comes to Christians writing books on near death experiences, most of them are. I, I'd say they they ping my my cheese meter a little bit, or my you know my <laughs> my my uh, skepticism meter, just because a lot of them are just they seem fanciful, they seem self serving. But talking with John Burke, I was like, this is really fascinating. Yeah. And th- this is this is interesting stuff. And I think uh I think our listeners I, I just want to encourage everybody as as John talks about this book he's written where he's collected experiences of uh near death experiences from all over the world. Take a listen and see what you think. I, I think there might be something here. 
Mark, thank you so much for joining us today on the Monday Morning Pastor. No, thanks for having me on the on the podcast. Excited about it. Yeah, we're we're excited to talk with you about your newest book, Imagine the God of Heaven. Uh, but before we jump into that, uh, where and when did your journey of um, of of imagining God come into being? Yeah. Um... Cause it's a little weird. I get it. <laughs> I'm a, I'm on the one hand, a church planting pastor who've been a pastor for the last 25 years. Um, but I also am this near death experience expert and, and weirdly it all goes back to the time I was an agnostic and a skeptic. I, I was actually trained as an engineer, worked as an engineer. So I, I'm very analytical. I'm like, you know, well, how do you know? And and actually, the church we started, we started for skeptics. Um, you know, we our, our motto is come as you are and no perfect people allowed. It's been that way for 25 years. And, um, and I've, I've seen literally 5,000 people baptized mm-hmm. um, over, the, over that time period. So that's my heartbeat. But way back when I was still an agnostic, uh, my dad was dying of cancer. And someone gave him the very first book. Um, chronicling these cases of people who clinically die, like their heart stops beating, no brain waves for minutes, some for hours. And yet either modern medicine, or I think a lot of cases, just miracle resuscitates them. And they come back talking about a life to come that is more real than this life, that the soul actually lives on, and that they found themselves in the presence of this God of, of light and love unconditional love, knew them intimately, personal, not just an impersonal force. So I read this in one night and I was like, oh my gosh, like, could this actually be evidence? Like I'd always wanted, give me some evidence, you know, how do you know this Jesus stuff is real? How do you know there's a God? So that opened me up and I was invited uh, that next year into a small group Bible study. And I went because of that openness now. And I ask all my questions and I came to faith in Christ. And uh, I, I then ended up going from a career in engineering into ministry. But for the last 35 years, I've been studying and trying to understand how these near-death experiences fit with what the scriptures reveal. And I've, and I've studied over a thousand of them. And I actually, I gave my first um, evangelistic talk about this in 1989 at the University of California, Santa Barbara. So I've been doing it for a long time, but I didn't actually put it in writing um, until uh, Imagine Heaven, which I wrote in 2015. Mm-hmm. How that, that book, you, you say you wrote that in 2015. You have this new one, Imagine the God of Heaven. What was the, the journey from that book to this one? How, how did that book land? What what opportunities did God bring up from that? And how did you come to write the second one? It did well. I mean, you know, became a New York Times bestseller and, and has, I mean, over a million people have, have gotten copies of it. And I have heard of people coming to faith. Hmm. It's in 22 languages. I've heard of people coming to faith through it all over the globe. But ironically, and, and what I was doing in Imagine Heaven, you know, if you read it, it's, it's a theology of of the afterlife. It's a theology of heaven and hell, what the scripture says, but illustrated through the eyes of, of these people that I've, that I've studied. Um, kind of the way I like to put it is God, God put the truths down in black and white, but what these experiences can do is, is fill them in with color. In other words, it's not, it's not that we're looking for, you know, newer and greater revelation. It's that He's showing us the reality and the the incredible, uh, well, you know, and Colossians 3 tells us to set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, because your life is hidden in Christ in the heavenlies. Um, But the truth is most Christians, and definitely non-Christians, don't imagine heaven very well. They don't. They don't. They they plan for retirement, but they they don't think about their lives in terms of of eternity very often. And, and so that's what I was trying to do in Imagine Heaven. Um, I actually quit writing after that. Hmm. Uh, you know, that was my fifth book, I think. And, it, it, you know, 
trying to pastor a, a large multi-site growing church and trying to write, it's like, it's a lot. And I, and I said to the Lord, you know, Lord, you called me to be a pastor, not an author. I don't need to write anymore. Um, I think I did what you wanted me to do. And I quit. And then in COVID, he made it really clear uh, that he had brought the, the leadership that I was to pass the baton to and that he wanted me to write on this again. And, um, and that this time it was going to be about him. <laughs> and so imagine the God of heaven. And, and, you know, a part of it, you guys, is that all these people that I've, that I've sat with and interviewed or, or studied, they consistently say, you know, of all the wonders of heaven, all the beauty, you know, not unlike earth, very much like earth, but, but experienced in new dimensions of time and of space and of all the loving relationships and reunions, they consistently said nothing at all compares to just being in the presence of God. Mm -hmm. I mean, they'd say things like, you know, yeah, I, I looked around, I, th all that was there, but I didn't care about anything, but just him. And, you know, I, I, I touched on the, the personhood of God in, um, in Imagine Heaven, but Imagine the God of Heaven is really, what I was trying to do is chronicle both uh, the God of history and show that the God that indie ears are experiencing all around the globe is the God who's been revealing himself in history yeah, for, since the beginning of recorded history. And, um, you know, it's amazing because the Lord brought me people from every continent. Um, and like, I'll, I'll give you a, a few examples. Santosh, a Hindu manufacturing engineer, um, thought when you die, probably nothing. Maybe you come back as another life form. He said, but that's not what happened. He hears code blue. He leaves his body. This brilliant divine light, he said, comes to him. And instantly he said, I fell in love with this light. And this light takes him to this place. Now, I won't go into the whole story, but it's crazy because he describes looking out over the New Jerusalem. But he doesn't know what he's describing. He describes it to me as a giant compound. If you've ever been to India, you know, there are compounds, high-walled compounds everywhere. We said, but you can see with, with telescopic eyesight. So I could see it was thousands of miles and these giant, gorgeous walls and, and the beauty inside and, and large buildings made of some otherworldly building material. And he said, I long to go inside. And I counted 12 gates mm. all around. And outside the gates, I saw angels. And these gates were closed to me. And I, I knew... I'm looking at the kingdom of heaven. And then he sees a vision of hell. And then he sees God Almighty on a throne. And he knows now, now this is not just a brilliant light. This is a person that looks like what we know to be the risen, glorified Jesus. And he looked into his eyes that he said were like lightning. And his whole life flashes before him. He sees all his sins and he realizes that's what I deserve. Hmm. And he falls on his knees and he says, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me. And then when the Lord speaks to him, he's shocked because he feels compassion and mercy and a tenderness in his voice. And he says, I'm sending you back, Santosh. And they, they have a conversation, but he sees what he called right next to the throne. He said, I saw a very narrow gate or a narrow door, and that one was open to me into the kingdom of heaven. And I got, I mean, he doesn't know any, it's like, what? And he said, I, I, I got bold because of the, the love I felt from mm. God. And I said, Lord, when I come back, I want to go through that narrow gate. Tell me, how do I go through that narrow gate? And um, he ends up coming back. And two years later, his daughter is invited to uh, a sing in a choir at a church. Uh, up in Ohio, where they lived. She was a choral major. Santosh and his wife go to the church, and as he walks in, he feels the loving presence of that same almighty God. Mm. And the message is on the narrow, the narrow gate 
and the broad, you know, the Broadway and how Jesus said in John 10, I am the gate through which the sheep must, must enter. You know, I am the gate into the kingdom of heaven. And he was just shocked. He was like, oh my gosh, this is for me. And uh, he started reading the Bible and he told me everything I experienced was in there. Hmm. Now that, that could be a one-off like, oh, you know, okay. A little um, urban legend kind of story. Right. But I chronicle 70 of them in imagine the God of heaven, uh, Bibi, uh, a woman related to the prophet Muhammad. Uh, who lived next to the general council of the president of of uh, Iran, uh, Iran, and she has a near death experience. And the same Almighty God that that Santosh sees says to her, "I am He who is." And then she comes to, she comes back, and she starts searching, and she discovers that this is also mm. Jesus. You know, this is the God who revealed himself as glorious light to Moses up on Mount Sinai. This is the same, this is the same God who transformed, you know, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Uh, same Jesus who transformed into his glory and his, his face was brighter than the sun, they said. And, and, and so again and again and again, you know, a, a, in Rwanda, I interviewed a guy who was a Muslim imam who says when he dies of blood cancer, he's in a hellish experience as well. And Jesus comes in and he says he has a beard and a robe and large holes in his hands or his wrists. And his mother um, had been praying, had been reaching out to the Christian church and praying to Jesus because none of their gods and the, and the God of Islam wasn't saving her son. And he comes in and he says to Swadik, I died for mankind. You are among those I died for. Never deny it and tell it to everyone. And today he is an Anglican priest who's had seven uh, attempts on his life because he still keeps telling them. He still lives in Rwanda. Hmm. And I mean, every continent, uh, Dr. Bell Chung in Hong Kong, uh, a professor in Australia, a lawyer in Australia, um, uh, a, a, another, an anesthesiologist, an, a chief anesthesiologist of the Bakersfield Heart Hospital, grew up in India. Indian gods were all he knew, but he didn't believe in any of it. He thought near-death experiences were a total joke. In fact, he had heard as an anesthesiologist people saying things like this, and he'd just give him a shot of antipsychotic drug. <laughs> and then wow. he had one. Okay, so, so this is crazy. He has one, and he too starts from a hellish place and is calling out to God what he says in repentance. Mm-hmm. And he says to Christian angels, take him from there to this place of exquisite beauty and to, the, to this God of light, brighter than the sun, thousand times brighter, and yet not hard to look at, which is common. And in his presence, he gets a life review and God shows him, you know, his, his, how his developing abuse and addictions and self-centeredness has to change. And he's got to change. He's sending him back. And, um, and when he comes back, you know, he first of all tells his, his wife and his wife said, where were all our gods? And he said, I don't know. And then he has a second experience. And and this is just like Acts chapter nine. He has a second experience with this God of light. And he asks, because he's been seeking now, he even, he even went and got baptized after that. And, And he said, Lord, who are you? And he said, out of the light, steps a man in a robe with a beard and a gold sash and says to him, I'm Jesus, your Savior. Mm. Now, why in the world, first of all, these are anesthesiologists, engineers, you know, interview commercial airline pilots, spine surgeons. I mean, why would these people make up these crazy wild stories? And then why would people of other religious faiths make up a story of a God that isn't what they would have expected. Mm. And so I believe you guys that this is God's global apologetic. Mm. Mm. 
And I think that's what pastors need to realize. We've, we've run from this for too long. You know, it's a gift from God, but just like any gift from God, of course, they're going to be counterfeits. Of course, there's going to be, you know, taking God's good gift and skewing it. These are just testimonies. You know, if, if I went back to, you know, uh, 30, 30 AD and started interviewing people in Jerusalem and uh, they said, yeah, I saw him. He raised the dead. He, he healed the sick. He healed lepers. He's, he's got to be the Messiah. And I'd interview other people who'd go, yeah, I saw him do all that, but he's, he's demon-possessed. Don't you know that? So just because you see the Lord and, or you see him do something, you still have a free will. Mm -hmm. And I like to remind Christians of this because we see this with the Apostle Paul in, in, um, in Acts chapter 9. Remember, this brilliant God of light appeared to him as he was persecuting and arresting Christians. He didn't believe in Jesus, and yet he appeared to him. And then he asked, and Jesus says, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. But notice, Jesus does not tell him the gospel, and he doesn't tell him what to do. He says, you'll be told. And then he sends a person, because that's his MO. He sends Ananias to tell Paul. Now, Paul had a lot to lose as a well-to-do, well-known Pharisee. He still had a choice of whether he would, he would be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of his sins or not. He chose to, but he didn't have to. And I like to remind people of that, that indie ears come back, and they can either choose to seek God, and when they do, they find him, just like he promised. Um, but they can also choose to seek the experience. Um, or, or they can, they can just go, go different ways. And I've seen that too. Mm -hmm. So I imagine, you know, when I've, um, when I come across, when I got your book here and I've seen others, um, as a, as a pastor, as someone with, you know, theology degrees and everything, I, I tend to, I want to look at it through the lens of theology. So my question for you is, how has your research and writing uh, Imagine Heaven, Imagine the God of Heaven, how, just for you personally, how has it sharpened? How has it informed? How has it changed your theology? Uh, and what, what's become more clear? What have you had to say? Well, maybe that's uh, just uh, a, a incorrect view that's been passed on Sunday school wise, you know? What, yeah. How have you come to think about this stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a huge question. <laughs> um and and let me say this, you know, what I'm trying to do in Imagine the God of Heaven is show the theology of God through the scriptures. It's loaded with scripture and 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 it's trying to help the average person as well see that this God has not just shown up in our age of modern medical resuscitation. You know, he, he revealed himself all the way back, you know, he raised, he, he raised up Abraham and Sarah mm -hmm. to be a blessing to all the nations. And the whole thing is a love, it's God's love story. It ends with all the nations gathered around his throne, right? Every tongue, every tribe, every, every nation in Revelation 7. And then there's a great wedding, you know, so that, that's the theology. That's the, the meta narrative of the theology that I'm trying to help people see. But then we go into his eminence and his transcendence and omnipresence and omniscience and, you know, all of our theological words, you know, I, I worked in there, but I'm trying to do it in a way that then you hear through these people, what was that actually like? And so, yeah, that is, I, I don't know that I would say it's necessarily changed my theology, but it's definitely enriched it. It's definitely informed it. It's definitely colored it with a, I mean, honestly, you guys, like theology can just be words and thoughts and ideas, mm -hmm. but the Lord is a person. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes we, we miss that. And what I'm hoping to do in Imagine the God of Heaven is help us all see we put God in a box. I don't care how, how big-minded you are, we're all finite. And so we put God in a box. and. When you listen to what these people say in light of what the scriptures says, it, it starts to expand the imagination that you've got him boxed into. 
And, and that's true of his sovereignty and his, his perfect plan. You know, hearing from people who come back and go through enormous suffering. This one, he's now a plastic surgeon, but he was a burn victim at 16 and he died of it and he lost his mom and his other brother. And he's there in the presence of Jesus with them. And what he told me is, I saw his plan. He said, time doesn't work the same. Well, Peter told us that to the Lord, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years a day. They all say that. And he said, I saw it. And all I could say is, of course, of course, it's perfect. It's perfect. And the Lord said, I'm sending you back because you still have a purpose on earth. Uh, it's, going, it's not going to be easy, but we're going to do it together. And it was not 38 surgeries, reconstructive surgeries, a teenager without a mom, and then his dad becomes an alcoholic, and then he becomes an alcoholic, and then he goes through recovery and comes back to the Lord, and he ends up becoming a plastic surgeon to help heal other burn victims. So you see all these things like, okay, God is sovereign. God has a plan. Well, yeah, but <laughs> what difference does it make? right? Do we trust him? And when you hear from people like that, mm. it ups the level of your trust. When you hear um, the, these, these people like um, Dr. Ron Smotherman, who, who I interviewed, who is a neurologist and a psychiatrist, stabbed 13 times by a, a psychotic guy. And he said, right before the 14th, it was like, Time froze and there before me, like a, he said, this light of God, and they know it's God. There's no doubt at all. And he, he was a believer, but, you know, he also had his struggles. And, and, and he said it was like standing five feet from the source of a nuclear explosion. He said, imagine the, the roiling light if you were five feet from a nuclear explosion. But he said, but what was roiling even more was the love. And whenever they talk about, I, I've interviewed CEOs and commercial airline pilots and neurologists, and when they talk, these guys who are, you know, smart, tough, analytical guys, when they talk about the love of God, mm -hmm. they inevitably break down every time. And they tell me that the memory is not just a, it's not a brain memory, it's a soul, spirit memory. And they, they experience it again, and it overwhelms them because the love of God, Dr. Smotherman said, is like, our word doesn't do it justice. He said, imagine our love, all our loves, whether it's for a, 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 um, a child or a grandchild or a spouse or a lover or whatever, a friend, that's like the, the gentle waves of the ocean lapping against your, your knees. He said, now imagine a tsunami of love. <laughs> it just washes everything away. He said, but what the tsunami of God's love washes away is all fear, mm. all worry. He said, if there's anything hurting or, or needs healing, that love will heal mm. it. And so you, you get texture to the words of theology, and it changes the way you relate to God. That's what it's done for me. And that's what I, I hope it'll do for, for others as well. Yeah, I, I find that really intriguing and, and just fascinating because it sounds like in all, the ex, in, in all of your experiences, you're not just, you're hearing all these different experiences from these people from very different places. What are some of the commonalities within the the ND like in the NDE world? I mean, are there lots of them? Are there only a few commonalities? But what are some of the the big common experiences that people have? Yeah, and I um, in Imagine Heaven, I chronicle a lot of those, but there are about forty that I have detailed, and I actually studied um, the expectations in the other world's religions, scriptures of the life to come. And each one has maybe four to six, you know, like maybe they, they expect there to be peace or they expect there to be beauty or um, maybe even a God of light, um, but four to six. Whereas the, 
the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's 38 to 40. There are two that are, you know, in my mind, borderline. Um, you know, like one, one of them is how many of them talk about telepathic communication. Um, thought to thought, but they, but they say it's not really telepathic. It's like all the thoughts, all the feelings and all the connected associated ideas all at once to your soul. And that's the way communication happens. Um, you know, I could, I could say in scripture, uh, you know, the, the, the idea that we have the mind of Christ, um, that the Holy Spirit speaks to us that way. And that still small voice that Elijah talked about thought to thought that he puts his thoughts in our thoughts. And we have to learn, we have to have ears that learn how to hear as Jesus said, and it has to do with the heart. Um, these people are hard hearted. They don't have ears to hear, you know, he said, but um, commonly what people do is when they die, they leave their body, but they stay, they have a spiritual body. So that's a commonality. And they're still often in the room of their resuscitation, which was one of the main things in, in Imagine the God of Heaven. I go through 10 points of evidence that convinced me and many skeptical medical doctors that there's something real here. Um, they're able when they come back, when they're resuscitated, to make verifiable observations of what happened in the room. And that has been studied extensively. And uh, one study done found that 96, 92% of their observations were completely accurate. Another 6% were mostly accurate. 2% really one person in the study, it was inaccurate. And um, so they, they leave their body. By the way, um, I think Paul might have had a near-death experience in Acts 14 when he was stoned to death in Lystra, dragged out of the city, and left for dead. And, and yet, as the believers rally around and pray for him, he gets up and he goes back into the city. You don't normally have that kind of <laughs> resuscitation, right, after being piled up with stones until you're dead. Um, but then in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Why didn't he know? Well, because like he said, we still have a, a spiritual body. 1 Corinthians 15, our bodies are buried, na a natural body, but they're raised a spiritual body. They're, they're buried in weakness, but they're raised in dunamis, in power, new powers. And, and they talk about that. Um, so they, they then, after they observe their body many times, they travel. Some say it's through a tunnel. Some say it's like, it's like flying through the, through outer, from, out of our space and into outer space, and they come. So, so what, what this is, is it is existence, but in new dimensions. The, the, the only way to think about it is like if we were living our three-dimensional existence on a flat black and white painting on the wall, Death is separation. So you're peeled out off that flat existence. And now you're brought into three dimensions of reality, maybe colors that you had never seen. And then imagine being pressed back into a flat world. And you have to describe in two-dimensional black and white terms what mm. three dimensions of color are like. That's what these people are experiencing. Mm. So our world is contained within the world to come. And so they travel to this place that they come to of exquisite beauty. Um, now, let me pause and say they're not all good, and we can come back to that. Um, so not all have this exact experience, but uh, this place of beauty, mountains and trees and flowers and forests and fields, and but they're experienced in, in colors that they've never seen before shades of every color that's a thousand times more vivid. Um, they oftentimes then see loved ones who have died before them. And there's this great reunion and there's hugging and there's kissing and there's, there's catching up. We're still ourselves. We still have our, our memories. We haven't lost that. Um, many of them then see this God of light uh, who is love, who is personal, who knows them intimately and in his presence, they never want to leave. Many of them who know Jesus know 
He's Jesus. Sometimes he appears to them like he did to Moses on the mountain, uh, like he did to Israel, um, you know, as this light, this fire. But sometimes he appears as the glorified Jesus, like Daniel chapter 7 saw. with the, with the same thunderous voice. Uh, that's what John saw in Revelation 1. But sometimes he appears like the human Jesus, you know, just very humble and, and very manlike. And, and so that, that can differ. But in God's presence, people often get a life review. That's another commonality. So they, again, they say, just like 2 Peter 3, 8, time, they say things like, I don't know if it was a second or hours or years. Time doesn't work the same, they say. And and I talk about how two-dimensional time would would give that effect and and how if God exists or is able to work in three-dimensional time, that would make complete sense out of him saying, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He experiences all time simultaneously in his eternal now. But um, they, they see this life review, and what they commonly see is themselves interacting with people, that, that God shows them what, what matters. They know God is love, and what matters most to God is how we treat one another, and he even shows them the ripple effect of either their kind actions or their unkind actions and how that ripples through humanity, and they inevitably come back saying God is love and how we love one another is what matters most to God. Well, who said that? <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and when you have people all over the world who don't know that Moses, God said that to Moses or Jesus reiterated that, and yet they're confirming it. You know, and that's, that's what I'm trying to show as well in, in Imagine the God of Heaven. So the last thing, um, I mean, there are many more, but um, but God often will say to them, it's not your time yet, or I'm sending you back. You still have a, a purpose on earth. In some cases, which is a little different, he gives them a choice. Do you want to cross over? Do you want to go, go on, or do you want to go back? And um, that was different you know, for me. And one of the big things, you know, I'm sure there are pastors listening to this going, wait, is this like universalism? And you know, what are you saying? Um, one of the reasons it took me 35 years to actually put this in writing and commit to it is I had a bunch of questions like that. Um, you know, like, like Hebrews uh, 9.27, it's appointed for mankind to die once, and, and, and then comes the judgment, right? So where does this fit? And what I realized is another commonality is many of them said there was a border or a boundary they knew they could not cross and still come back to earth. So. And, and in the new book, and Imagine the God of Heaven, Jesus in several cases tells them, you haven't died yet, you have to go back. Now, they had died. I mean, they, they had no heartbeat, no, no brainwave. So our clinical definition of death, they had died. But whatever these near-death experiences are, I think there's something in between eternal life or eternal death and our earthly or biological clinical death. And so I also think that's why people can still cry out to him and he rescues them. He saves them and he sends them back. Now, I think they still have a choice when they come back, but he's the God of mercy. He's the God, he's the God who created every person to be his child. He would do anything to save them, even entering humanity eternally, right? He bound himself eternally to us. He still has a human body in the person of Jesus. And he has the wounds to prove his love as well. Um, so I think this is not eternity. And I think it's, I, I don't recommend that people go get their theology of, of heaven or hell or God from near-death experiences, you know, because all yeah. they're showing is the reality of the life to come. But none of them have mm-hmm. crossed over because they can't come back. And so only one has come back from there, and, and that's Jesus. And, and so we need to always, and that's what I'm trying to do, match what these people are saying. First of all, yeah. 
is this common or is it a one-off? That's what I always do. Because there's some of them that I've heard and I've been like, hmm, not sure about that. And I kind of put it on the shelf of my mind and I wait and see, you know, does it match scripture? Do other people say this? If other people start are starting to say this, I'm looking harder at scripture. There's some things that are going to be mysteries. I mean, Deuteronomy 29, 29, you know, Moses tells us the secret things belong to the Lord, the mysterion, they belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong yeah. to us and our children that we may obey, you know, all of his law. So there are mysteries, but at the same time, I think we've always got to use the, the scripture as the lens to evaluate. Yeah. I do. I do really appreciate that caveat because I think too many Christians draw their theology of hell from Dante and their theology of heaven from Looney Tunes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think too many of us, I, I, we grew up thinking that heaven was like, that was the goal. And we completely miss the end of the story, the, the new heaven and new earth and the resurrection of the mm -hmm. body, you know, that uh, there's heaven is in between. There's, there's something else. So thank you for that caveat of just, yeah, yeah these yeah. are, these are testimonies, but don't draw necessarily your theology from that. So in line with that, how would you see uh, pastors being able to make use of say, imagine the God of heaven? How have you seen pastors use it? How would you recommend it be used as a resource for churches? What, 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 uh, how would you like it to be used? Well, I mean, the only reason I passed the baton uh, at my church and am doing this is because I believe the Lord wants, you know, think about it. I mean, even five, seven years ago, it was not possible to hear from people all over the globe posting their stories on YouTube, right? And now they are. I was in India this year in a village where... 80% uh, are illiterate, hmm. and they all had smartphones. Now think about that, right? And here God is giving us testimonies from every religious background, every nation. I want, I want to see pastors lean into it to help people connect to the God who has been revealing himself in history to bless all nations. Um, so that they might know, you know, they might know with confidence the the forgiveness and the, you know, the love of God and and seek Him and find Him. Mm. Yeah. So, um, you know, what I would suggest is, I mean, read the book and see what you think first, and then we're, you know, we're making. I've 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 interviewed a lot of these people, and we're making resources available for video clips. You know, I'm I'm I do a four week teaching series through it you know, where I'm kind of going through, of course, you can't go through all of it. Um, but going through the, the story of God, the, the love, compassion, mercy of God, the justice uh, of the, the justice of God, meeting God's love and how he's, he's working out a hidden justice, how he's doing that, the mystery and the majesty of God, all these big words we talk about. And I have video clips of these people together talking about it. So you, you start to get it's kind of like overlapping testimony where you hear it from different people in different ways. Cause they didn't, you know, I interviewed them all at separate times. They didn't know what you, what each other said. And so you can, you can use that again to teach what the Bible says, but also move the hearts of people mm. want to trust God. Cause look, I mean, our problem is not knowledge. Mm -hmm. There's lots of knowledge filling our churches. And yet how many people trust him with everything? They don't even tie. That's 10%. That's not 100%. And yet he said, do this and, and, and you'll be blessed. They don't. People don't trust God because they don't know him. And they don't imagine him even near toward, you know, as wonderful and as beautiful as he is. So that's how I would hope that pastors might use this to, to expand again, expand people's imagination. Cause that's a God given gift for a purpose. It, it couples with faith. Mm -hmm. John, I really appreciate the time. And, and I know we, we are running a bit longer than normal, but I think it's important because there's just so much that you're unpacking. But for the last question, I'd love for you to just share what 
What NDE story has stayed with you uh, that just comes to mind in terms of the one that has impacted you the most? Mm, that's so hard. <laughs> because, because, I mean, well, let me say this. The, the one I told you about, Santosh, mm-hmm. um, it, when you read him describing the New Jerusalem, hell and, and God, and hearing the tenderness of God, you know, that yeah. one just... I, and and then the way he came back seeking, and God said, "If you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me." So that one's just amazing to me. And he is a dear friend today. He's a, he loves Jesus with all his heart. He just does. And and I'm I'm praying for his family because they don't yet, you know. Mm. So he's a huge one. But there's another one that I think testifies to God's <laughs> astounding goodness. Um, a guy named Jim, commercial airline pilot, very wealthy, many multi-million dollar businesses, um, had a, had a uh, his own airplane, boat, horse farm, 19 British sports cars. He's Canadian. He was not a believer. He never prayed ever, but his wife was a believer and was praying for his salvation. Mm. And he gets Guillain-Barre disease, very painful, gets addicted to opioids. He's sitting in his truck one night and accidentally overdoses. And he said, you know, when you're dying and I knew it. And as he is dying, he realizes I've never thanked God for this incredible life that I thought was my own making. It's like he, like you have a, it's like God give one more, a, hey, a moment of clarity. <laughs> yeah. Have you noticed you're hanging on a cross? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> But people still have a choice. And, and, and he, as his head's hitting the steering wheel, he cries out, God, forgive me. He mm. said, I meant it. And I jokingly say to Jim, I think you beat the thief on the cross for last minute salvation, <laughs> buddy. <laughs> and he said, that's who I identify with. So again, when people cry out last minute, I've noticed that God first lets them see where they were going. Interesting. Mm. And he sees, he also sees a hellish Uh, experience and then is rescued. But the thing that sticks with me in his story is he is walking with these angels. One of them that he found out is his guardian angel assigned to him from conception. And they, they say to him, Jim, touch, touch my robe. And he does. And suddenly he's up above like this flying in aerial view of what he says is the holy city of God. And he describes the same thing Santosh described. Interestingly, exactly the same way God had Captain Dale Black, another commercial airline pilot, come in, in a, like a, a holding pattern over the holy city. Mm. And Jim said, and I think this is true, I think God de- loves to delight us mm. in the things we've loved. And... Um, and he said, I, you know, God, I mean, I've done nothing for God. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's the God we have. He comes back down and he sees, the, the angel says, look, and he sees, he sees these three magnificent horses coming across a field um, and, and they're, they're real. Which, if you want to say what, what's changed my theology, there's so many things I used to read and, and, I thought they were more metaphorical, hmm. but they're in there. <laughs> I mean, Jesus comes back on a horse. How, what do you do with that? Right? Hmm. Um, I, I, th- there's some other crazy wild ones, but, and, and Jim talked about those two. Others talked about them as well, that I used to think, yeah, that's, that's just metaphor. That's poetry, you know? The, 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 um, the heavens and the, the trees and the mountains sing with glory, you know, praise God. Mm. Well, it's, it's a metaphor. Well, maybe not. <laughs> I mean, when I, when I had about, about 10 of them saying they experienced something like that, it, it made me go, well, shoot. I mean, it does say that in the Bible. Mm. I just didn't believe it was literal. In heaven, like that, that literally there, there's something of a whole different nature of the life of God flowing through everything. So Jim sees all that. And he said, I, I believe that 
God delights to give us the desires of our hearts. Well, that's Psalm 37, 4. Again, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And I used to teach, well, it's not literally like if you're, if you're happy about God, you get the Lamborghini you want, right? <laughs> you know, that's kind of the... But I think there is truth to that in this life, you know? Jesus said, in this life, you'll have trouble. So it's not. But I think there's also a goodness of God and the joy of God that we can experience now, despite circumstances, but also that he loves to give good gifts to his children. And we're very short-sighted if we think somehow we're going to miss out on something if we wholeheartedly follow God. People do, by the way. They don't wholeheartedly follow God because they think they're going to miss out, whether it's sex or more money or you know power or fame or just comfort, whatever it is. Mm. And what Jim and these others testify is that now the joy of God, you know, mm. Mm. which he's a God of joy. He's humorous. He's a fun person to be with. Now, for some of us, that's like, oh, what? You know, blasphemy. But I, I want to I remind you, seven festivals in the Old Testament, God mandated saying, celebrate mm -hmm. with joy before the Lord for seven days, right? Jesus last night on earth, abide in me, stay connected so you'll bear much fruit. I tell you these things so that my joy will be in you and your joy would overflow. Mm. And I and and so I think Jim's story, um, because then he sees Jesus. He sees the risen Jesus. Mm. And it's so powerful because in in tears he says, I'm I realize I'm looking at someone I thought was a Jewish legend. And here I'm looking at this magnificent being. And then the angel holds up the book of his life, his life review, his, his life's book. And he said it was, it was as thin as a cheap roadside diner menu. There was nothing in it. And he said, mankind should have been my business. And I was just too self-centered. Mm. And he was just, he was, he was ashamed. And then Jesus turns to him and he said, he smiled at me. And in the smile, he said, I saw his sadness over the way I had lived my life but I also saw forgiveness and I saw how much he loved me. And from that moment on, I was his. Hmm. And Jim, Jim now spends his life going around telling people about Jesus. So that's probably another one of my favorites, I think. Yeah, these, well, John, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today to encourage pastors to share stories. I mean, stories inspire stories. And I just feel like just listening to what you had to share is just so encouraging on a Monday. You know, there are days when pastors, we feel like, is anything we're doing even worth anything? But I think to recognize the joy of the Lord that is present to us in these moments when we're feeling tired. Some of us probably feel like we've even had a near-death experience yesterday when we finished <laughs> preaching. You know, when someone came up and oh said something gosh. to us. But I'll tell you what, brother, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Well, and if I can say one last word to pastors is you'll only one day in the presence of the Lord see the ripple effect. Hmm. You know, you don't see it. Your faithfulness, you know, that, that God uses in one life that goes to another life that goes to another life, you know, you, you don't see it. And sometimes the things that we you know, we struggle with, am I, am I doing enough or is this big enough or is it, that doesn't matter to God. It's your faithfulness and that's all he needs. And one day you'll see uh, thousands and thousands of lives that were changed. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. This podcast is produced by Joel Inbound at Audelin Productions. Uh, he is ready and available for any of your podcast, video, or creatively telling your story needs. Also, if you're looking to grow in your leadership, Kairos Partnerships offers several free resources to help you do that on a weekly basis. We encourage you to follow us at Kairos Partnerships on Facebook and Instagram. 
and subscribe to our weekly newsletter that J.R. Briggs writes weekly called Five Things in Five Minutes. You can find the link in the show notes to subscribe. We highly recommend it. And lastly, if this podcast has added value to your ministry, we ask that you would leave us a review on whatever platform you are downloading us on. Uh, And we ask that you would share it with other pastors. We're really hoping to continue to create a community of pastors that care for one another. We'll see you next week. Thank you.